You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Luke chapter 2 is one of the most familiar love portions of Scripture this time of year, but I believe that he describes for us the most significant event in all of human history. As we consider this thought tonight, that's my personal opinion, some would say, well, Pastor Everson, what, what about the cross? And I would submit to you that without the cradle, there would be no cross. And we have to be reminded of that tonight. I, I love to read this passage of Scripture every Christmas morning. It never gets old, and I believe that God's people never get tired of it. To think that our infinite God became an infant, and he lived for you and me and died a substitutionary death. But as we think of this Christ child, from the carpenter's wife, he was in fact the architect of the ages. God, robed in human flesh, is a reminder to you and I that we need to be robed and clothed with humility each and every day, as 1 Peter 5, 5 tells us. And as we humbly keep Christ in his proper place, we rejoice to celebrate his birth and give generously as we recognize that we've received the greatest and most generous gift known to man, the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Sadly, our culture celebrates this time of year for all the wrong reasons. Their party spirit and excessive materialism has captivated our culture today And this often overshadows the true meaning of Christmas. And may I submit to my church family tonight, that is in fact the reason God's people must keep Christ center stage this time of year. As we come to the Gospel of Luke, we see the promise of the forerunner of Christ in chapter 1, and we see the fulfillment of God's promise to Zacharias. And now as we approach Luke chapter 2, his fulfillment uh, is, that was promised to Mary is now coming to flourishing. And I'm so thankful that God always keeps his promises. How about you tonight? God is faithful when men fail. Luke gives us a detailed glimpse of the setting of this, of this arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice with me, first of all tonight, the decree of Caesar Augustus, found in verses 1 through 3. The declaration of this decree was now given for all people under the Roman Empire, and they were commanded really to travel to their birthplace and register for the purpose of taxation. Money was a very important part of the corruption of the Roman Empire. And we see this terrible person, Caesar Augustus, who was an emperor for 45 years from 31 BC to 14 AD. His entire name was Gaius Julius Caesar Octavianus, and if I've said that wrong, Brother Bertram can correct me after the service tonight. But Augustus was his title. Caesar was his name. He was known for being a very arrogant and proud individual. You see, the world perhaps would look at this story and think Caesar was the important one as he proclaims this decree. But the Bible teaches us he was simply given a support role to Mary and Joseph that first Christmas. We notice the taxation purpose in verse 1 that all the world should be taxed. Caesar was seeking to fill his pockets, but God was about to fulfill his promise and keep his prophecies. God used the self-centered, selfish will of Caesar to perform the sovereign will of God the Father. 
The word tax deals with registering for a census. This census was uh, there so that taxation could follow. And I like that term, all the world, because we realize that the whole world was moved by the very birth of Jesus Christ. The calendar was split between B.C. and A.D. The time period is found in verse number two. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Now, skeptics who criticize the Bible have argued for many years that Cyrenius wasn't governor until years after the very birth of Christ. However, after digging a little deeper into the subject matter, it has now been discovered that Cyrenius was in fact governor of Syria not once but twice. The first time, he was governor during the time period of Jesus' birth. I love this truth because the reality is the world scientists and their historians, when they're given enough time, sometimes, very rarely, they surprise us as they catch up to the Bible. We know the Bible to be accurate, but I want you to notice the true providence of God. In verse one it says, and it came to pass in those days. In verse number three, all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. You see, Micah had prophesied that Christ would be born in Bethlehem's manger. The problem was Mary and Joseph were living in Nazareth. But the providence of God is seen in the decree because it really prompted Joseph and Mary to have to travel to Bethlehem at a time when she was preparing to have a baby. My, I can't even imagine to wrap my head around that. As Caesar proudly declared his mandate, showing the world that he was the big man in charge, the disrupting uh, uh, news traveling across the land, perhaps affecting the lives of millions of people, but we know that God was behind the scenes and that he was orchestrating everything according to his will and his timetable. Today, we must recognize that God is still on the throne. I love that song, he's still on the throne, so what could be wrong? I can just hear Joseph and Mary as they're traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem singing, it is well with my soul, let the stormy winds blow. We have so many godless people today, oftentimes in our state and in our federal houses, writing godless legislation, making life miserable for the masses. But this passage reminds us that times have not changed very much. And I praise God tonight that Caesar Augustus was merely a tool in the hand of Almighty God to bring to pass Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though thou be little among the thousands of, of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. We know that, in fact, to be the Christ child. Micah's prophecy given almost 700 years before Bethlehem's manger. May you and I this evening not become weary of corruption of those that hold political offices and use their authority for personal gain. As we study the first Christmas, we are reminded that these people oftentimes are simply tools in the hands of the Almighty. And so we reminisce the decree of Caesar Augustus in verses 1 through 3. But this is the meat of the message tonight, and that is the difficulty of Mary and Joseph in verses 3 through 5. And I want to really capitalize on that focus tonight. When we think of Christmas, we love 
uh, the decorations. By the way, I've learned this year on staff why pastor always puts his Christmas decorations up days before the church. Because when you're done decorating this property, you don't want to put up any more Christmas lights. Amen? But uh, we think of Christmas lights and Christmas parties and hot chocolate and gifts and family and fun and so much more. But the reality was that first Christmas was filled with difficulty and heartache for Mary and Joseph. I want you to take a moment with me tonight and consider their dilemma. First of all, the dilemma of Mary, and then the dilemma of Joseph. In Luke chapter 1, an angel from God announces that God was coming to earth through Mary's womb. Mary says in verse 38, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. She had to yield and submit herself to the very word of God and the will of God for her life. But this meant for Mary that she would be misunderstood and misrepresented by the masses, including her family and her friends. May I say tonight that heavenly honors do not exempt us from earthly ridicule and shame. People would have placed a cloud over her life and and as we consider Joseph, no doubt those same skeptics and scoffers would have placed the same cloud over his life. Matthew chapter 1 records for us, Joseph is a spouse to Mary, and how he was in a dilemma as well. Mary, who was a spiritual, pure, godly young lady, knowing she was not perfect, but she was as spiritual as a young adult lady could be. But then comes this huge surprise. Mary is found with child. She returns from Judea visiting her cousin. Back then, the penalty for immorality was death by stoning, and Joseph was not about to make her a public example. For Joseph, though, to make and take Mary to be his wife meant that the world would then accuse him of being Mary's accomplice. People would say that they were not living for the Lord and perhaps even living in sin. Joseph was even potentially facing the same punishment. But the Bible says in Matthew 1, 24 and 25, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took him to him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. This evening we consider the dilemma of Mary and Joseph. But I want you to consider their disillusionment and discouragement. Joseph and Mary, no doubt, had to turn a deaf ear to the critics of those who would slander and gossip about their name. Isn't it as amazing how that people today will talk about you, but very few will come to you, as the Bible says, to get the facts straight. While the world was laughing and ridiculing and scoffing, all of heaven was in their corner that first Christmas. They had been chosen by God for this wonderful and miraculous and special task. And I'm reminded tonight that you and I, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, have been chosen by Almighty God to bring the gospel message of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world, just as Mary carried baby Jesus for nine months, and just as Joseph led Mary, perhaps on a donkey. I've got to turn this on. I learned my lesson last time I preached and didn't do that. Just as Joseph... Learned that, that lesson as well with, uh, uh, with uh, I don't know what I'm saying now, I lost my whole train of thought. 
He was no doubt uh, caring for Mary and perhaps a donkey there as they make this journey. We'll look at that journey in just a moment. They were chosen by God to take the Savior to Bethlehem's manger. You and I have been chosen by God. I had the privilege to witness to an elderly Pakistanian man today. While he never trusted Christ as his Savior, I let him share with me his faith. And I listened to what he had to say. There's three religions in the world, and he categorized them, Judaism and, and Islam and Christianity. And I said, well, you would put the Catholics in with this group. And, th and I listened to him. And as he finished up, I went from Old Testament to New Testament and, and told him about the God of Abraham, Isaac, because he said Ishmael and Jacob. And we walked through all of that. And when we got done, it was a very cordial, very kind uh, conversation. He says he's going to attend one of our alumni churches over here in Fremont, Lord willing. But what a joy it is to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ this time of year because people are thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to consider the disruption and the disappointment. The disappointment of fact that they had to leave Nazareth. Mary, no doubt, had prepared to give birth to Jesus there. And then the disruption to disrupt their schedule. This decree caused a lot of problems for a lot of people that first, Christ, that first Christmas. Now, I ask permission for my wife if I could use her as an illustration tonight, I'm trying to hasten with the speed of my message this evening. I love my wife, and all of my children will tell you, of all six in our family, my wife is the worst traveler of all six. She gets in the car, and after not even an hour, you know, she's antsy. She's asking, are we there yet? Can we stop? Can we take a break? She gets out of the car literally after she, you know, does whatever she needs to do, and she's walking around the gas station doing laps before she sits back down, and that's... Praise the Lord for my wife. I would submit to you that it was not Joseph and Mary's desire to travel to Bethlehem. They perhaps could have already traveled knowing the prophecy. They must have been disappointed with this, but knowing that it was the will of God. And I'm reminded that life is a series of appointments with God. Nothing in the Christian life is secular. It's all sacred. And it's a bit of a mystery to me why Joseph and Mary did not see the need of traveling to Bethlehem sooner, as they would have known about Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But it was a disappointment to them. But I want you to consider the distance. Now, I've read quite a bit and extensively on this, and I have found that many believe that from uh, Nazareth to Bethlehem, it was between 80 and 90 miles. Perhaps it was as short as 70 miles as a crow flies. But uh, this was an 80 to 90 mile journey on foot, and it was uphill. And, and that's the thing that really grabs my attention. I don't think Mary walked on foot. Perhaps she did. Uh, perhaps she rode a donkey or a camel, more, more than likely a, a donkey. Bethlehem is 2,300 feet above sea level. This was a hazardous journey because of thieves, and this was a harsh journey because of the environment. May I submit to you tonight that as much as I love my wife, she would not ride 80 to 90 miles on a paved road in a luxury vehicle if she was expecting a baby. Stop and consider that. Can you picture Brother Ramiro over here, Mrs. Ramiro? And Brother Ramiro comes to his wife and says, Honey, you got this donkey here. Why don't you jump on board there and... We're going to go on a 90-mile trip. Isn't this great? We're going to fulfill the Word of God. And they're going uphill, you know. 
And can you hear Brother Ramiro singing, It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. I wonder how many times Mary asked Joseph to make a pit stop. And I don't mean to be crass and joke about this, but can I tell you something? I'm not a skeptic of the Bible. You tell me the story of Jonah and the whale, no problem, I believe it. You tell me about Noah, the flood and the ark, no problem, I believe it. You tell me about creation in six days and God rested on the seventh, no problem, I believe it. But Mary and Joseph, and she's great with child on this trip, I'm having a few problems with this story now. Traveling like this. May I submit to you that sometimes the Lord requires some uphill seasons of life that can be very difficult. I don't know the difficulties that you perhaps are facing this Christmas or New Year, but I'm reminded of the circumstances of Mary and Joseph that first Christmas. As we consider the decree of Caesar Augustus in verses 1 through 3, the difficulty of Mary and Joseph, verse 3 through 5, but then we see the delivery of baby Jesus in verse 6 and 7. And uh, we see that, uh, let's look at verse 6 and 7 together. The Bible says, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Paul said it this way in 1 Timothy 3, 16, God was manifest in the flesh. The city was Bethlehem. Bethlehem was not the logical place or choice, but it was in fact the Lord's choice. Bethlehem means house of bread, and now the bread of heaven was born in the house of bread. The days were accomplished. The clock was ticking. God's promises don't always come on our timetable. Mary had to wait nine months before she was able to hold the very promise of God and the precious Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might be, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And then the Bible says in verse 7, she brought forth her firstborn son. We see the conviction of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, and then laid Him in a manger, because there was no room in the inn. Christ was born in a stable where animals were usually kept. And there's so much that could be said about this. And manger here was not what we think of as a wooden built uh, little bed for a baby. It was a, a feeding trough for animals that had been hewn out of stone. Livestock literally ate from the manger in which Christ was placed. And I think of the song, I've got a mansion. It says, just like the prophet, my pillow is stone." The inundation of people in the small town of Bethlehem is this crowded time of year with all of the visitors. There was no room for them in the inn. And I am reminded that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Now I've seen situations where men will give up their chair for a lady who's standing in a room. But I am a little bit puzzled as I consider the innkeeper looking at Mary and Joseph, after this journey, not willing to give his own room up. I don't believe Joseph was materialistic or covetous. He desired to provide a comfortable setting that was clean for his wife and Jesus on the way. 
I don't think he was desiring the Taj Mahal, but we're reminded that Joseph, no doubt, struggled with the fact that he couldn't provide something nicer than this stable. And I'm reminded as Christmas rolls around and we think of our society and it's structured in such a way that we assume we need to consume. And while there's nothing wrong with getting gifts for our children and friends and family and the greatest gift of all is the Lord Jesus, that's why we do so. May we not get caught up in thinking that we have to provide more than what God intends for us to provide. Their basic needs were met and they were very contented. Godliness with contentment, the Bible says, is great gain. And as I pondered this thought and was talking with my wife about it this afternoon, we both got choked up as I thought of the wonderful people of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, who are willing to sacrifice and go without in order to be where God wants them to be. To be here at North Valley Baptist Church, to place your children in the school, or to have children in the college, to serve in ministry in this place. No doubt this room is filled with people who understand what it is to do without in this life in order to be where God has called you to be. But I'm also reminded tonight that the first arrival of Jesus was humble when Christ comes back the next time it's with power and great glory, according to Matthew 24, verse 30. He came as a humble lamb the first time, but he's coming as a hungry lion the second time. Bethlehem's manger is a symbol to us of the contempt that society had and still has for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm reminded tonight that Mary and Joseph refused to let the disdain of the world, they refused to let the ridicule of perhaps family and friends detour them from fulfilling their biblical responsibilities. And I'm thankful for North Valley Baptist Church for 46 years who have not let anyone pull them or distract them from fulfilling the duty that God has planted us here in the Silicon Valley for, and that's reaching the lost with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And may the people of North Valley Baptist Church never allow the animosity and ridicule of this world to stop us from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. We see her compassion as she wraps Jesus in swaddling clothes. And I'm reminded that God always enables us to complete the task that he assigns us to. And Joseph found a way to provide lodging, but Mary found a way to care for baby Jesus as she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Now, I know what I'm about to tell you is truthful because I talked to Brother Bircham about it. But back in Bible days, I was in Bethlehem next month. It'll be 14 years ago. And there was a great article. I looked for it this week and couldn't find it that was published back then on how that Bethlehem was raising terrorists at the time. It's a sad reality. I don't know what it's like today. Brother Sloan would know a lot more about that than I would. But uh, the cities have grown closer together and Jerusalem has actually put up a wall uh, to keep from terrorist attacks coming from Bethlehem. I, I had a, an armed guard get on our bus and uh, walk through. Our tour guide, because he was Jewish, had to get off the bus and could not go into Bethlehem with us. That was a little bit eerie and had the privilege to go into Bethlehem. But a lot of, of, of uh, 
Things take place in Bethlehem when it comes to shepherds and even the space between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And there was a location there where, and Brother Bertram could go into greater detail on this, where uh, shepherds would literally produce lambs and do everything they could to keep them uh, from having any kind of broken bone or injury or blemish because of uh, the Jewish uh, yearly sacrifices. People would come through and they would need a lamb to sacrifice. And so they needed a spotless lamb. And so this was a, an area, that's why the shepherds knew where to go. And when the angels told them where to go, they knew exactly where to go. And in my mind's eye, it was more of a barn setting. But as I was in, in, Jeru in Bethlehem all those years ago, I found that there were a lot of caves made out of limestone that, that they used for flocks back then. And as we consider the smell and the filth of that place where Jesus uh, was born and yet Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes, the same type of material that the shepherds used to wrap the lambs in to protect them when they were newborns. It's the same material that people would use for a deceased body to wrap that body. And I'm reminded that Jesus was born to die upon Calvary. And that's the picture of the swaddling clothes tonight. Jesus was born to die. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. The decree of Caesar Augustus, the difficulty of Mary and Joseph, the delivery of baby Jesus. And I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, where the writer says, For time would fail me to tell thee of Gideon. And that's how I feel about time would fail for me to tell you of the delight of the shepherds in the field that night. But what a powerful truth it is. We'll just look at verse 11. And the angel says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David. And look at this, a Savior. By the way, that's seven letters because Jesus is perfect. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. What the world needed 2,000 years ago, the world still needs today, and that's a Savior. God knew the need of the world was a Savior because man is sinful. Man is sinful by birth and man is sinful by choice. We cannot save ourselves from the penalty of sin and we cannot save ourselves from the power of sin. God didn't send us a soldier. He sent us a Savior. God did not send us a scholar. He sent us a Savior. God did not send us a statesman. He sent us a Savior. God did not send us a salesman. He sent us a Savior. And if our greatest need was information, God would have sent us an educator. And if our greatest need was technology, God would have sent us a scientist. And if our greatest need was financial, God would have sent us an economic, uh, an economist. But our greatest need was the forgiveness of sin. And so God sent to us a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. I'm so thankful. I love that song. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior is mine. Someday soon we'll see Him face to face. Tonight as we consider the Christmas story, it's a real brief synopsis. I'm reminded that God is still in control in December of 2021. Seems like just Sunday we were talking about November and now we're in December already. But he's still, He'll still be in control in January of 2022. I don't know what difficulties you're facing. We can still worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't focus your attention on the laws and injustices of evil men, 
And uh, don't look at the filth that's all around us as Jesus was there in that stable. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Maybe you're facing criticism this evening. Maybe your journey seems to be long and all uphill. Maybe you're unable to provide the way you'd like to provide. Maybe you've been rejected. Jesus came into his own and his own received him not. But we can make sure that Christ is center stage this Christmas. And we can be reminded of some of the struggles of Mary and Joseph that first Christmas. We can take our eyes off the filth and junk of this world and we can rejoice in the God of our salvation. Tonight, let's turn in our hymnals to song number 363, When We See Christ. I don't know about you, but I love this song and I couldn't get my mind off of this song as we consider Mary and Joseph that first Christmas. No doubt when Jesus was born and they looked at baby Jesus in the face, all of that just passed away. I want you to sing this with me. Oft times the day seems long, our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away, all tears forever over in God's eternal day. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.